like to uh, ask you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. We will finish out the message from this morning, tonight, Matthew chapter 16. This is a passage that we looked at last Sunday morning. And then we were back here this morning, and the message is entitled Binding and Loosing in Church Life, Part 2. So we're finishing up Part 2 tonight. Um, I will read again chapter 16, verses 13 through 20, if you'll follow along. This is the word of the Lord. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we can look at our calling uh, as the Corinthians could and we can know that there are not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble or called, but that you, God, have chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise and that you have chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised, you have chosen, and the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in your presence. And Father, we know that it is uh, of, of him that we are in Christ Jesus, who became for us. It is of you, God, that we are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that it is written, He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. And Lord, so we want to do tonight, and we seek to do tonight, and we pray that we will, not only tonight, but as we go forward throughout our lives, may we remember who we are in Christ Jesus. In his name I pray, amen. That verse, verse 30 of 1 Corinthians 1 certainly is telling because it says, but of him you are in Christ Jesus. So it is of God that we are in Christ Jesus. It is not of our own doing, but it is of God. And that's what happens here with Peter in Matthew chapter 16. He makes this confession about who Jesus is. And he says of Jesus that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. We uh, spoke of this some last Sunday morning. Jesus tells him then after that in verse 17 
that the way that he was able to say this about Jesus was not of his own doing. But just as 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, in verse 17, uh, Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Bar there means son, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So God had revealed this to Peter so that he was able to make this confession about who Jesus is. Now, uh, real simply, are you able to make that confession about who Jesus Christ is? Have you made that confession about who Jesus is? Over in 1 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 11 in the first verse, it says, No one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And I pray that we can all say that tonight, that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is indeed the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, following on that in verse 18, Jesus says to Peter, and also, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So this morning we looked at the church manifold, and we saw the church as universal, but we also saw the church as local. Matter of fact, I'm told that 114 times the word church is found in the New Testament. 90 of those times it is used with reference to the local church, a local church setting like the church in Corinth. And uh, 24 of those times it's used referring to the universal church. Now, you'll notice there in chapter 16 where we're looking at tonight, it is a reference to the universal church. It's all the church that Christ would build um, upon the, the rock that he speaks of here from from that, from the beginning of the church in Acts chapter 2 all the way through until Christ's return, Christ is going to build his church upon the rock, and that's the universal church. The local church we saw in chapter 18, where he's there talking about um, dealing with sin in the church, rebuking a brother who's in sin, or confronting a brother who's in sin against you, and then the church recognizing that. Um, or not recognizing uh, his his uh, repentance or or his hearing of that. All right, so that's the first point this morning. The second point was the church in ministry, um, and that's what we were just speaking of: ministry through conflict, ministry through confrontation, and then ministry through forgiveness. Where we brought it back around to say, as Jesus kind of ends that chapter there, showing the significance of forgiveness, the importance of forgiveness. And just as God has forgiven us, so we ought to be, and I'll say we must be a people who are able to forgive and do forgive one another. For surely we will sin against one another. And we must be ready to forgive. You know, forgiveness is many times is a test of love, isn't it? If we're willing to forgive others, that's going to show our love for them. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God gave. So God's love, uh, from that comes the wonderful gift of forgiveness that we as sinners are able to, to enjoy, to be benefiters, benefit from. So the church in ministry. And now we come to our third point, the church on mission. From Matthew 16, I'd point out to you really just the church on mission. 
And the first point here is we see that it's a rock-solid mission. It's a rock-solid mission. In verse 18, we see as much because Peter has made this confession. Do you remember that Peter's name is Petros and that it means rock? And it is the masculine form of the word rock, Petra, Petros. Well, the feminine form of that is the word that we find here in, in verse 18. It's rock. So Peter, the rock, on this rock, I will build my church. Jesus makes this promise that he will do this. So it is a, a rock-solid mission as we think about who Jesus Christ is and what he is going to accomplish. Now, I've talked to you about this confessional capacity. We know that Peter isn't a rock in and of himself, is he? Look at verse 23, same chapter. But Peter, but he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. So it wasn't many breaths later that Jesus is actually telling Peter, telling Satan to get behind me. And he turned to Peter and said that. And it's because somehow or the other, Satan was using Peter as a vehicle through which to try to throw Jesus off of his mission. His mission of dying, of suffering, um, dying and being raised on the third day like we see in verse 21 okay so uh, we see that with peter we see him being playing the hypocrite in galatians chapter 2 so it goes far beyond a man but yet it does begin with this man peter as i told you last sunday morning he's the first one to preach a gospel sermon in acts chapter 2 to the jews and he's the first one to go to Gentiles. Does anybody remember the name of the Gentile? The first Gentile to be saved in the book of Acts? What did you say? Go ahead. Cornelius. Everybody know that? Cornelius. So Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 is the first Gentile to be converted. Again, the Ethiopian eunuch doesn't count because he was a proselyte to the Jewish religion. He was as close to being a Jew as you could get without actually having been born a Jew. All right, so uh, Peter is the one who's used to begin the spread of the gospel to these different peoples. All right, so we see it's a rock-solid mission. Let's dive into this just a little bit to think about this rock-solid mission. Can y'all, and I'll get a little interaction from from you all tonight. Can y'all think of any places in the Bible where it talks about Jesus being a rock or Jesus and somehow being related to a rock. Andrew, you got one? Right. All right, let's take a look at that right quick. Ephesians chapter 2. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. Let's start at verse 19. Ephesians 2, verse 19. All right, it says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Notice in verse 21, in whom the whole building 
being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Uh, Jesus is the chief cornerstone. And who is the building? Who, who's the apostle? Who, who is the foundation? The apostles and prophets. So they went about laying this foundation on the chief cornerstone. Who is the building? The church. And what did Jesus Christ say? I will what, my church? I will build my church. On this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Uh, so Ephesians 2. Can anybody think of another place where Jesus is related to a, a rock? How about Matthew chapter 7? I bet that's one that came to some of y'all's minds. <clears throat> Matthew 7. <clears throat> In verse 24 and following. Matthew 7 verse 24. Let everybody get there. Matthew 7 verse 24. It says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended... The floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. And then he goes on to compare that with those who hear the sayings of mine and does not do them. All right, I'll draw just quick application. It's only it's only part of part of it. You're only part of the way there if you hear the sayings of Jesus. It's not enough just to hear what Jesus says. We have to do what Jesus says. We have to obey what Jesus says. And those who do that are like those who built their house upon a rock. So Jesus says that he will build his church. Another one, I'm not going to ask you all again. Uh, we're going, I'm just going to give you a couple more. In Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 4, uh, here's an um, significant. It was significant because, again, this was early on in the the, the life of the church. Um, Peter is having to give a defense to the Sanhedrin, this Jewish council, uh, the same ones who would have had Jesus crucified. And uh, he talks about the resurrection of Jesus in verse 10. At the end of it, he says, "...whom God raised from the dead." By him, this man stands here before you whole. And then looking at verse 11. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So we can draw some conclusions here that this this promise that was made to Peter, it wasn't solely to him and it wasn't about him. It was a promise that was made having to do with the confession of Jesus Christ as Lord. And for all those who do that, he builds to or adds to his church. 
there is salvation in that name of Jesus, not in the name of Peter. Now, if you would go to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Because this certainly ties into this. We think about Jesus building His church. We think about what Ephesians chapter 2 says about that, that holy temple and the Lord being built up. And now, as we come to 1 Peter 2, if you'll pick up with me in verse 4. Notice what we are referred to, or referred to as. Verse 4 says, Coming to Him as to a living stone, so Jesus is a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. Now in verse 5, notice. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up sacrifices acceptable to God. Now, what happens is this stone of which we are built up on that make us makes us living stones. If you look down at the very end of verse eight. Uh, is a stone that they stumble over. Well, verse 7. Therefore, to you who believe, He is precious. All right? Connect this right quick. At the end of verse 4, this stone is chosen by God and precious. Jesus is precious. Verse 7. Therefore, to you who believe, He is precious. So we view God, we view Jesus in the same way that God views Jesus as this stone that is not one who is rejected, but one who is precious and one who is dear to us. But this stone is one that others stumble over. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. All right, so going back to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16, Jesus building up His church. The promise to do that is a rock-solid mission. And Jesus does indeed do that. I've got two more things to say in regard to this. In regard to this confession of, of Peter, and I've got two more passages I need to take you to. If you would go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. <clears throat> when, because you remember that Peter made this confession about Jesus Christ, who he is. And then we see in other places where there's this promise for those who call upon the Lord. In chapter 2, verse 21, at the end of a quotation from the gospel, from not the gospel of Joel, but from the minor prophet Joel, Peter says this, And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So there is this promise here of calling upon the Lord, recognizing Jesus as Lord and bowing ourselves to Him in obedience. And as we go on over in verse 38, we see here that Peter does not point people to himself as the rock, but he points those who are in need of salvation to 
forgiveness through Christ. He says in verse 38, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We might ask ourselves, how does this binding and loosing work itself out? How, how did that look in the New Testament church in those early days in the book of Acts? This is how it looked. In order for them to be loosed from their sin, it had to come through faith in Jesus. It had to come to, through obedience to Jesus. If they were going to be bound in their sin and remain bound in their sin, it would be because they did not obey Jesus Christ. They heard His Word, but they would not submit themselves to it. Therefore, they are bound in it rather than being loosed from it. Okay? So, and then we see that this promise in verse 39 is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. If you look at verse 47, here we see Jesus building His church. Because it says, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. And they were saved through faith in Jesus. Look over at chapter 5 verse 14 if you would. In Acts. Acts 5 14. I'm working y'all hard tonight. I realize that. Thank you for your endurance. Acts 5 verse 14. We see the church continuing to grow here. Because it says here, and believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Now, here's the last passage I was wanting you to turn to. is Romans chapter 10. I bet most of you have this memorized, or at least you're real familiar with it. In Romans chapter 10, this again connecting back to the confession of who Jesus Christ is. Romans 10 um, verse 8. If you'll join me there. Romans 10, verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Verse 11. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. And, well, verse 12. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter sets an example for us in his recognition of who Jesus is. That is a recognition that he had not because he decided it upon his own, but because God, had the Father, had revealed it to him. And so we see that in the New Testament church, there's a promise for those who call upon the name of the Lord, for those who confess Jesus as Lord. The way that works is the confession that comes from our mouth is from a belief that is in our hearts. And we believe, therefore we speak. We speak of who Christ is. We confess Him as Lord in our lives. And again, 1 Corinthians 11, I think it's verse 1, no one can say that Jesus is Lord 
except by the Holy Spirit. Not second point. It's a successful mission. <clears throat> subpoint verse back in Matthew sixteen. A second subpoint here is the gates of hell shall not prevail. Gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Um, I talked about this a good bit last week, so I probably don't need to elaborate on it a whole lot. <clears throat> but here's what we see in the gates. It's a place of judgment. It's a place of determination like we see in the Old Testament. It's like the courthouse um, <clears throat> where, where judgments are made. And it's a place that gates show strength. So the gates of Hades show the judgment of Hades against us. It shows the strength of Hades against us. But the promise that's found here in verse 18 is that the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And, and that's against the church that is built upon this rock. The, the two cannot really be separated from one another. Just like a house cannot be separated from its foundation, it is built upon it, it must. Now you may think about, yeah, I've seen people move houses around here. Yeah, but it's put on another foundation. It has to have a foundation. A house cannot rest secure without the foundation. So the gates of Hades shall not prevail against the church that is connected to the rock of Jesus Christ. That's why it will not prevail. No matter what the strength is, no matter what the judgment is of Hades against us, Christ reigns supreme. Now, I did quote to you last week a verse that I want you to turn to. Revelations 1 verse 18. Talking to Tanner after, after that message last Sunday morning helped me to think about some things in a little bit different light. Because here in verse 18, we see the one who has the keys of Hades. It is Jesus Christ who has the keys. So the gates have no strength against us because Jesus has authority over it. He has the keys to it. Why does he have the keys? Because he has conquered it. It was not possible, Acts 2, that Jesus would be held by death. So he came forth from the grave. He has defeated it. Therefore, he has the keys to it. We see this in verse 18, Revelation 1. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. All right. So in the resurrection one day, at the end of 1 Corinthians 15, well, one day, but it can be said now. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus has the keys. Going back to Matthew chapter 16. The gates of Hades will not prevail against the church because Christ has the final say. Jesus has all authority where? In heaven and on earth. So he said, go therefore and make disciples. Look at verse 19 now, if you would. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth 
will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is what Tanner helped me to think through a little bit more. Is that maybe there's two sets of keys here. Jesus has the keys of Hades. And now the church has been given the keys. Peter here was given the keys to the kingdom of heaven. So that men, women, boys and girls know how to get into heaven. Know how to be a part of the family of God. Because of the church going forth and speaking the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that when that gospel is preached, it goes into mouths and it goes into hearts. And in the heart, there is some who believe it. They believe it unto righteousness and with the mouth, they then confess it to salvation. Confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. So the keys to the kingdom of heaven can be given to the church because Christ would win the victory over death. And lost people like all of us were at some point, and some of us, some of you still are, but we are all lost in our sin at one point and needed that gospel to deliver us. And because somebody preached it to you, because somebody shared it with you, you came to believe it. And you then were ushered into the kingdom of God. We give praise to Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. And that's what happens. And then there's the binding and the loosing, the forgiveness of sins, or the being bound in your sin. It all hinges upon who Jesus Christ is. So it's a critical mission. It makes sense for missions in the church. It makes sense why we preach the gospel. It makes sense why we go forth with it. It makes sense as to why we give money as a church to support missionaries who were over on the field sharing the gospel. It makes sense why we do some of the things that we do. It's because Christ is the only way to know God and be forgiven of our sins. So in a way, as Peter was given the keys to the kingdom of heaven, passed on down the line. We all have the keys in a sense because we all have the way of telling others how to be delivered from bondage. Bondage in their sin, bondage to Satan, and bondage to death. And be freed so that we are slaves of righteousness and slaves of God. And then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. All right. Well, I, I, I think that's most of what I wanted to cover tonight with y'all. Um, does that make any sense at all? Okay, good. Good deal. If you have any questions about, that, about this or any uh, further enlightenment on it, because I certainly do not feel like I've plumbed the depths of this at all. I know a little bit more about it now than I did, but I don't feel like I've reached the the bottom of this, plumbed the depths of it by any means. But let's remember, please, that this has application for us today. Because even though his disciples at that time were to tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ, that's that's not the case for us. We are to go and tell. Go tell it on the mountain. And... Uh, 
we ought to be about that. May God give us the grace to do so even this week. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. I pray that will would be done through us, your servants. And Father, as we go forth, I pray that the name of Jesus would be on our lips. God, I I confess for myself and on behalf of our people, Father, that we, we we can be way too focused on stuff, other stuff. And I know we've got to do that to a degree, Lord. But I pray we would remember our first love, remember Jesus Christ and that we are ambassadors of Christ because it's through Jesus that you are reconciling the world to yourself. So I ask you, Lord, please let us recall that to memory and be good stewards of that which you've given to us this week. I pray for any who are not in Christ. I pray, Lord, they'll see their need to be forgiven, even tonight, and that that forgiveness only comes through your Son. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for your attention.